Hello and welcome to FTI Cybersecurity's podcast series, The Expert Briefing. My name is Gino Bello and I lead the Technology Southeast Asia business here at FTI Consulting based in Singapore. Throughout this podcast series, FTI experts will discuss the latest issues and trends impacting the world of cybersecurity right now. Today's conversation is centered around the changing cybersecurity landscape across the Asia Pacific region. Today, I'm joined by my colleagues, Kyung Kim and Joanne Wong. Hello, everyone. My name is Kyung Kim. I am Senior Managing Director and Head of the FTI Cybersecurity for Asia Pacific Region, and I am based out of Seoul. Hello, everyone. I'm Joanne Wong, a Senior Managing Director here at FTI Strategic Communications. I'm based out of Hong Kong. Thanks, Kyung and Joe, for joining me today, and thanks all for joining us. I wanted to first explore what you've both seen change and evolve across Asia Pacific in recent times. What trends have you seen evolve across the APAC cybersecurity landscape? You know, covering from the uh, government sector and transiting into private sector, I haven't seen anything huge difference, but we continue to see similar trend, including BC scam, uh, ransomware, and data breach in terms of intellectual property, uh, which costing us significant amount of damage. However, ransomware is the most prevalent threat uh, we see in Asia. It has huge financial aspect uh, damage. There are about, I want to say over 4,000 ransomware attacks per day. Almost quarter of companies in Asia, uh, they become a victim of ransomware. And remember, this is only reported number, right? I wouldn't be surprised at all if actual number is higher, right? Something closer to 30 or 35%. And another thing I would like to point out is that organizations in Asia uh, Pacific region are 80% more likely to be target of a cyber attack. APEC countries face a higher potential threat to cyber attacks than any other countries across the globe in a large part due to speed and significant digital growth in the region, as well as connectivity. And the, uh, we have billions of devices connected to the uh, internet, and it will grow bigger and faster due to technology advancement like 4G and 5G in the region. Also, APEC organization takes time and a half longer than the global average to detect a breach. And this is due to lack of a solid understanding of their cyber posture and lack of investment in cybersecurity. Uh, just to give you a number, APEC is approximately 47% lower compared to North America when it comes to investing in cybersecurity defense measure. Thanks, Kyung. That was uh, really interesting. Joe, do you have anything to add? Given what Kwam has mentioned earlier in terms of the dynamics across Asia Pacific, we are seeing from a policy standpoint, major governments are instituting more stringent data security law to help protect data, protect consumer interests, and also help business to respond to these dynamics. In particular, the more sophisticated and mature markets, there are sort of like the um, 2.0 version of data security law currently in discussion including last week, China also announced um, an updated version of a draft cybersecurity law, which involves um, data center and also data application and localization aspects. So with that in mind, 
It also dovetails what some of the largest stock exchanges in the region are doing from an ESG standpoint. This is really about the G, the governance. And listed companies across these major capital markets are also required to put in place not only system to demonstrate their awareness of data protection and consumer interests, but also the progress and the innovation of that. So as a response, we are seeing companies with higher commitment to data protection and cybersecurity prevention doing more now than ever before to demonstrate that there is a system in place and also there's the commitment to continue to monitor and improve. So from a policy and compliance standpoint, it's surely a very dynamic situation right now across most of the capital markets in the region. Thank you, Joe. From an, uh, I suppose, a people perspective, what we've seen and what we're helping clients with at the moment is certainly an increase in an insider threat. So versus um, an external bad actor, we've seen a lot of IP theft by senior salespeople um, and people with with senior positions. So it really is an argument of accessibility versus security. Given the COVID situation, um, there's certainly an increase in pressure to sell. People are performing misconduct acts under the cover of night. There's certainly less supervision. And so it's easier for employees with privileged positions to take data because of the lack of supervision. And because of the growing volume of data, it's much easier to take a lot of data very quickly. Uh, moving forward, what advice would you give business leaders in APAC? What steps should they take right now to build resilience? Thanks, you know, um, there are many things we can do to build and elevate your cyber resilience, like having a data redundancy in place, updating operating system, deploying EDR solutions, and the uh, data loss prevention, as well as antivirus solutions. However, the most important thing, in my opinion, and the first thing is having a proper incident response plan uh, in place. So you will know exactly what to do. This includes testing your incident response plan and business continuity plan. The second thing is you want to, and you need to test your best case scenario, right? To see if uh, your best case scenario works and to elevate your cyber resiliency. You do not want to find out the effectiveness of your theory and concept of your operation during the event of cyber attack, right? If you are going to find out, plan, test, and gauge your cyber resilience before the game day. You want to fail and fix the issue in the sandbox and the, uh, during the practice. Even though you have practiced your instant response plan a few times, I guarantee you during the game time, a few things will go wrong, just like Murphy's Law. However, when you get this as close as you can to the best practice scenario, you will recover that much faster and you can significantly reduce the uh, downtime and damage during the crisis. And third thing I would like to share is, in addition to having a proper plan, you want to make sure your notification uh, setting is configured properly when it comes to abnormal activities. For example, I had a uh, client, my recent uh, case, who became a uh, BC scam uh, victim, an unwitting employee compromised her credentials by clicking on an attachment, 
and she was scammed into providing her ID and passport information. These suspicious activities were picked up by Office 365 audit logs, but the trigger alarms uh, notification never went out properly because they never set notification text slash email uh, was never set up properly, right? Therefore, no one took any actions, thus they became a victim of a BC scam where you know, they end up wiring $1.6 million to Target's bank account in Mexico. And another item is that you want to have an adequate IT personnel who can monitor these activities and respond to mitigate a potential threat in a timely manner. And last thing I would like to cover is you want to train your employees, right? To be on lookout for any anomalies and suspicious activities. And there are your Wikis link. I mentioned this before on my uh, uh, previous uh, podcast, but you want to arm them with right tools to combat the adversaries. And lastly, as I mentioned before, there are about 4,000 attacks per day. It's not if, it's when. You need to back up your data as often as you can, and you need to preserve the evidence. This will help you uh, with post-incident investigation and help you with bouncing back to uh, normal business uh, sooner than later. Uh, with that said, let me hand it over to uh, Joanne. Joanne, what do you think? From a communication standpoint, as I mentioned earlier, Cybersecurity resilience is no longer a luxury, it's a necessity. And the necessity needs to be demonstrated from top down. As part of the latest ESG requirements amongst major capital markets in the region, the board needs to be able to demonstrate an agreement towards a vision and a commitment to data protection. So with that in mind, the ability for a company to demonstrate leadership from board all the way down to the employees in terms of the acknowledgement of preventive measures, the ability and the speed to respond to what Kwam mentioned earlier in terms of incidents response planning and exercise becomes very important. The ability for a in particular, a public company to demonstrate leadership and innovation, and in a way reflects in its valuation, a lot of it now comes through the ability to have an enhanced governance system. And with that, to us, cybersecurity and data protection is an important aspect to demonstrate that. With COVID, from a capital market standpoint, many, or in fact, majority of the companies, you know, are struggling to really reflect their valuation in the midst of a lot of the uncertainty in the markets. So to us, a competitive advantage that a company can demonstrate to the shareholders, to the investors, and to analysts would be the ability, the commitment, and the speed vis-a-vis cybersecurity. It is a differentiation point. And um, we are quite excited to see some of the largest um, companies here in the region are starting to recognize that. Mm. But of course, you know, practice makes perfect. Most companies would have a plan in place, but the plan is not shelved in the cupboard. It needs to be practiced. And employee training is very important. The ability to even 
for grassroots employees, the receptionist, you know, a secretary to understand the potential risk is equally important as the board or the COO to practice and exercise what a best and well-prepared response plan would be. So to us, the ability for any company to do better than others in terms of data protection is a competitive advantage right now. And to add to that, prevention is always going to be better than the cure, we always say, and we always tell our clients. And so proactive things like tabletop exercises and simulations are going to be key. Revisiting data retention policies, data mapping, like where are your crown jewels? Where are the things that you need to protect the most versus something that's not as important? So you need to be litigation and regulator ready. And obviously the use of analytics, they are now available, readily available. And we have deployed these with our clients as well in terms of monitoring for anything that that looks anomalous in terms of data uh, transfer. And from the reactive side, when we are helping clients with breaches, you know, the first thing we always tell clients is preserve the data. Don't lose that key information when you are trying to investigate and then do the investigation and then move forward to appropriate reporting to your customers, to your employees, leadership and shareholders, obviously the regulators and other key stakeholders. So now that we've covered the advice that we've given business leaders, now we really need to look to the future. What challenges and opportunities will organizations face and where should business leaders be focusing their efforts? Kyung? Uh, looking towards the uh, future, I could definitely see we will continue to work from home and the, um, uh, who really knows how long this pandemic will last globally, right? When this initially started, you know, people were talking about it's gonna last two, three months, but now it's going into a month. Who knows how much longer we're gonna deal with this. This will continue to increase the uh, stress level on IT department and on their capacity to uh, support this long-term, right? And the uh, working from home will worsen when it comes to addressing insider threat. Uh, Gino mentioned this before earlier as remote work is becoming part of our uh, fixture in our lives, it will be much harder to address insider threat actors in Asia. Melissa's insider threat actors exfiltrate sensitive information via email and mobile devices. And I saw this firsthand as I was investigating intellectual property insider threat investigation. And also uh, I worked with a local security company and they did a uh, research and they found out that approximately 50% of threat actors in Asia, they print out hard copies and they walk right out of front door, right? And the uh, working from home will make it harder to monitor this and this will be a more difficult task for IT department. And the, uh, it will be worsened, as I mentioned before, uh, worsen this threat issue due to lack of visibility, as you know mentioned before, and lack of security uh, management in place, right? And another thing I uh, would like to mention is bringing your own device for work purpose, right? As more and more people are working from home and more people will use their own devices, and if there is any breach or an event, are they going to give up their devices voluntarily and expose their privacy, right? This is something that we need to think about moving forward. If an insider threat actor is involved using his own equipment, do you have the right to access them, right? This, this can be tricky depending on their local privacy protection law and the, how your policies are set up. 
insider threat actors may take advantage of these vulnerabilities to uh, leak the uh, sensitive information. So you need to plan for this to stay ahead of your threat actors. You may want to implement policy regarding bringing your own device and provide clear guidance on do's and don'ts as you emphasize on no privacy of expectation on your work devices. With that said, uh, let me turn it over to Joanne again. Joanne? Thank you, Kwan. What he has mentioned sounds quite scary. COVID has fundamentally changed how businesses are conducted. He mentioned earlier about, from a company standpoint, how the workforce um, is changing in terms of technology adaptation. We are also seeing from a customer standpoint, the further proliferation of e-commerce, and also from a supply chain standpoint, the need to diversify. But with a diversifying strategy, it also means that there are more uncertainty. We always say that from a crisis communication standpoint, no company can absolutely prevent a crisis from happening. But all companies can definitely prepare for a crisis. So with a heightened uncertainty all around the business operational standpoint, the ongoing commitment to practice, practice, and also to review the system in place and stress test that is becoming important. And it's not only within the company, it needs to be in collaboration throughout the supply chain. So if you have not been talking to your vendors, your suppliers, you should do that right now. Because if one point within that supply chain falls apart with a bridge, with a threat, it impacts everyone. And COVID has taught us that we are not and shouldn't be in the mercy of others. We are all in it together. Second of all is I think business leaders need to understand going into a more heightened uncertainty environment, if anything happens, the incident doesn't stop when the situation seems to be go away. From us, reputation matters more and more critical in the post-incident situation. Because unfortunately, with a bridge, with a situation, the confidence and the trust have been discounted. Companies, um, according to a survey, needs to spend triple the effort to rebuild and regain confidence. It's not only about throwing money and putting ads. Well, even advertisements are no longer that effective. You now who physically will buy a newspaper or watch TV now. So the burden and the pressure is on companies to really demonstrate their ongoing commitment, even post-crisis, to rebuild and enhance reputation. That to us is a very important mindset and commitment from companies. So Gino, do you have anything else to add in terms of you know, how the future would look like? Yes, thanks, Joe. From a data perspective, certainly the data and its explosion is both a challenge in terms of legal obligations, but also opportunities, or it provides for opportunities in terms of its use. So businesses should start to use their data. They should leverage artificial intelligence to predict any potential theft or any flight risk from their trusted employees. 
They should definitely leverage open source intelligence and any cyber threat intelligence that they can gain. Organizations are already leveraging data from a business and financial modeling perspective. So they should certainly leverage data by protecting their organization from, from cyber threats. That's what we would advise our clients and business leaders uh, in the community is leverage the data that's available to you. Well, thank you, Kyung and Joe, for your great insights. Um, and thank you all for joining us today. Please remember to hit that like button and subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. If you'd like to find out more about what we do here at FTI Cybersecurity and how we can help build a resilient future for your organization, please reach out to myself, Kyung, Joe, or anybody at FTI uh, via our website. Mm -hmm.